which means that if we're going to talk about Isaiah 28, we have to start in Romans 1. <laughs> You're all like, we just got to Isaiah 28. So um, the Apostle Paul, he was raised as to become a Pharisee and to become a Ph.D. of God. Um, a, PA, a doctor of the Jewish religion and the study of God and, and the scriptures. He would have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized by the time he was about 11 to 13. Sound for sound, word for word. So that when it came time for a test, they would say, you know, a rabbi would say three words and he would think and know exactly what words came next and begin reciting Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, whichever one, he would, he would say the next verse. That's, that's how trained these guys were at, at his level. And then from there, when he was somewhere between 11 and 13, a rabbi would come to him and say, follow me. And so Paul would leave his mother and father, and he would go live with that rabbi and learn from that rabbi and spend the next 10 years memorizing Joshua Judges, all of the Old Testament, the whole thing. And then they would study the Talmud, which is a commentary on the whole Old Testament. And he would just have all of this. They'd memorize all the prophets so that they could just stand and recite and talk about what this rabbi said, that rabbi said. So when you read the New Testament, when you read the letters of Paul, really, know that in his head, he can, he can think up any, he's in the context of the whole Old Testament. He's not just in the context of one little, you know, today I'm going to preach this whole sermon over five chapters of Isaiah. But in Paul's head, when he writes Romans, he has the whole Old Testament in his head. All of Jewish history. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he's writing, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's talking about the wrath of God is going to be revealed. What can be known about God is plain to man because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, like His eternal power, His divine nature, They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in everything that has been made. So all men are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So he's saying anybody can see that God exists. Anybody can see God's power and God's nature. Just the if you... Um, if you watch a dog have puppies, all of a sudden there's this whole mess of puppies. And that mother dog just lays right down and gets all of them over so they can all nurse and start eating immediately. There's this thing in nature that, that when something's birthed, that something cares for it and, and protects it and nurtures it. There's things in nature, the reliability, just the reliability that 
when the sun comes up every morning, we don't all go, shoo, that was a close one. I didn't know what was going to happen. It's been dark for hours. This, this dependability of God's creation, that, that it gets warm and stuff like that. God has revealed himself. So they're without excuse. Although they knew God, they knew all this stuff was from God. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So instead of giving glory to God for all this creation, people began saying, wow, that dog that gave birth to all those puppies and started feeding all of its puppies, that is amazing. I'm going to glorify that dog. And so they made stat, and this sounds ridiculous, but this is how ridiculous it was. So instead of rejoicing in God who created a dog that would care for her puppies, they make a golden dog nursing a bunch of golden puppies and they praise it and they worship it. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So God said, you know what? I am not going to force you into anything. I am not going to make you mind-controlled robots. If you want to worship that golden dog and all those golden puppies, go for it. I will, I will let you eat that. Just like in the garden, the garden of Eden, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was good. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good. God made everything in the garden that God made. It says he saw it and it was good. But the rule was don't eat from it. And that was to protect Adam and Eve. And, and to protect you, don't eat from that tree. Uh, Adam was given the job of taking care of everything in the garden. He had to care for it. He had to you know, nurture it and help it to grow. But he wasn't supposed to eat it. So eating it was bad. And he exchanged dependence on God for dependence on himself and his own wisdom. Right? And so they ate it. They gave up the glory of God to get glory for themselves. And God didn't have a fence around that tree. He didn't have, um, you know, he didn't put all the wombats around it to scare them away. They were free. And God gave them that freedom because he loved them and they chose to do that. So why are we here? Because this is exactly what happened in the book of Isaiah. And to all the people that Isaiah was around at this time, um, the people, they gave up the glory of God for a lie. And they worshiped a created thing instead of the creator. They began worshiping stuff and things that they could see. So other places, Paul calls this the flesh. And it's when we, we don't follow God and we don't depend on God Instead, we follow our own cravings, our own desires, our own emotions. 
Um, I know a guy, and he was learning martial arts, and he got to a point where, without even thinking about it, just as a reflex, he could rip your arm off and leave you laying on the ground injured if you, if you hit him the wrong way or whatever. And that was scary because he was like, I don't, I don't want to have that strength. And so he quit learning martial arts because he's like, I don't want to know how to rip somebody's arm off in just a just like that. He didn't want to be led by his emotions, led by his reflexes, led by his flesh. He wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit. There are people that will give up foods. Uh, Lent is coming. I'm in, I'm in this Bible study and uh, we were talking about Lent and how people give stuff up. So that every time you want it, you're reminded about the Lord. And this guy gave up coffee. And I tell you what, every Friday morning, he let me know, Dan, I gave up coffee and I still haven't drunk it. And this is the best Lent ever. And he'd give me this look. He wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by his flesh that craved coffee. So he had this designated time. And he said, even after Easter, I'm not going to have coffee. I'm not going to have coffee till the Friday morning I see you so you can be there when I have my first cup of coffee. It was really funny. But it's still one of his most memorable Lents he's ever had, one of his most memorable, memorable Christmases. So there's ways that we can... We can designate, God, I want to live by the Holy Spirit, not by my flesh. And so, because we have control over that. We're not helpless. We're not, we're not just out of control. We are, are, God's Holy Spirit is in us, and we can be led by that. But that's not what they were doing. So, Isaiah 29, verse 5. Isaiah 28, and in Isaiah, remember Isaiah 28 was about the resurrection when people are going to come back from the dead and how awesome it's going to be. Isaiah 29, Assyria is coming. They're going to wipe you guys out. They're going to tear down your buildings. They're going to burn everything. It's more destruction. But in verse 5, he gives them this little encouragement. The multitude of your foreign foes will be like dust. The multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. In an instant, suddenly, you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with an earthquake and with a great noise, with a whirlwind and a tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. All, like all this bad stuff's going to be happening, and then all of a sudden the Lord's going to show up. The multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, that's Israel in this part, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress her, will be like a dream, like a vision in the night. Like when a hungry man has a dream, and behold, he's eating, and he wakes up, and his hunger isn't satisfied. Or like when, like when a thirsty man dreams, and he's drinking, and he wakes up faint with his thirst not quenched. That's how the multitude of all the nations will be that fight against Zion. So bad things are going to come. And this, this goes for us right now too, right? Bad things are going to come, but when the Lord shows up, they're going to be gone. And they're going to be so gone that the bad things that we experienced are going to be like just passing. Like, like when 
Um, they're going to pass away so fast. The way you have a dream and you're eating your favorite food and it's just so good and you wake up and it's gone and you're still hungry. The pain that you feel, the suffering that we go through when the Lord comes, all that pain will be gone, totally gone. And you'll have a distant memory of it. It'll be really wild. In heaven, we will remember events that happened to us in this, in this life, but we'll remember them without any sin. So somebody does something bad and sins against me, I will remember that, but I'll only remember it through the eyes of the Lord, of how the Lord showed up, how the Lord was there to care for me. Or if it's my own sin, I will only remember how the Lord forgave me. I won't have shame. Isn't that wild? So God, he does this a lot in Isaiah. It's going to be terrible. You guys are going to be disciplined so hard, but it won't last forever. And after, you know, you're going to get spanked and you're going to get grounded for three weeks, but then we're going to Chuck E. Cheese and we're going to go to the all-you-can-eat ice cream bar and it's going to be awesome. Verse 11. The vision of all of this has become to you like one words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this. He says, I can't. It's sealed. When they give the book to somebody that can't read, they'll say, read this. And he says, I can't read. So remember in Romans, Paul says, God gave them over to this. The people in Isaiah's day, they didn't want to hear from God. They did not want to hear what God had to say about their lifestyle. They did not want to hear what God had to say about their their success as a nation or that they should turn to God. They didn't want to hear it. And so God said, okay, if you don't want to listen to this, I'm going to make sure you don't listen. I'm going, to, I'm going to protect you from listening. If that's what you want, I'm going to give you an abundance of it. I think we talked about this when we were in um, Exodus and in Numbers, that God, in His wild, merciful generosity, gives you an abundance of whatever you seek after. And so if you seek after money and riches and wealth, God says, oh, man, okay, here you go. If you seek after the Lord and his holiness and his goodness, God says, I am so glad you want that. Here's seven times as much as you ever asked for. And you get seven times of the Lord. So that's what he's saying to them. You guys don't want to listen? I'm going to make you all deaf. You don't want to see? Okay, you're just going to be totally blinded. I mean, if that's really what you want, I'll pour it out on you. They've given up all of their understanding for the sake of their false gods. They've given up all of their wisdom to follow after their emotions. They've given up their reason and their, their understanding to just live by their wild lusts. This is verse 13. The Lord said, Because these people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me, honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, I again will do wonderful things with this people. Okay, so if you stop right there, you're like, oh wait. The people have turned away from God. They honor him with their lips and not their hearts. 
He's going to do wonderful things among them. I want God to do wonderful things with me, right? He's not talking good, wonderful things. He's talking about things that fill them with wonder. Like, why is this happening, right? So imagine if wonderful, the root word of wonderful is wonder, right? I wonder why this is happening to me. He's going to send a whole lot of things to them that make them ask, why is this happening to us? With the hope that from their heart and soul, they will sincerely ask God, why is this happening to us, God? That they'll listen and that they'll hear. Which we know they're not. But the other warning in here, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I have a friend and he took a new job and where he used to work, he led all these people to the Lord. They had Bible studies in the office and it was just like a Holy Spirit revival at the workplace. And then he went to work at a new place and he thought, I want, I just so want Jesus to be exalted and I want Jesus to shine through me. I'm just going to depend on Jesus. So he went out to his truck and he took off every bumper sticker that was religious. Every bumper sticker that said anything about Jesus, he took all that off. And you know how in your office you might have like a little plaque that has scripture on it or you might take your Bible to work and sit it there so you have these little signals to let people know you're Christian. He didn't do any of that. He didn't wear any WWJD bracelet or cross. He, he made himself completely camouflaged so nobody could tell he was a Christian and he went to this new job and he started working and he was my boss and I was working there about to go to the mission field and one of our missions training they said every time you meet somebody the first conversation you have mention Jesus because people say you know once you get to know somebody it's hard to bring up Jesus and it gets awkward. So just your opening conversation, mention Jesus with every new person you meet. And so I started doing that already. So I mentioned to this guy about, you know, where I go to church and this goes on and, and you know, something I read in the Bible that day or whatever. And he's kind of looking at me and we start talking about Jesus. And I discover that he's a Christian. He wanted to do the opposite of this. They draw near with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What if, what if that was our effort? That our hearts would be so close to Jesus that we wouldn't have to speak. That we wouldn't have to honor God with our lips because we're honoring God with our actions. We, we don't, instead of drawing near with their mouth and honoring God with our lips, that it was just so obvious. There's a place where Paul talks about we're the scent of death to those that are lost, but we're the aroma of life to those that are being saved. There's another time that Paul was traveling on a mission journey and he met people and he could realize, he said, you guys are believers, but you don't know the Holy Spirit. And they said, we've never heard of a Holy Spirit. There was something about them that he could tell that they wanted to follow Jesus and they believed the things that some of the things that there was a Messiah coming, 
but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. He could tell it. And um, these people, they were doing all of the things. They were really, really religious. They were doing a whole bunch of extra stuff too. And, but they, they didn't want to hear from God. Again, he gives a little bit of encouragement at the very end. Verse 24, those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding and those who murmur will accept instruction. Throughout all of these things, God is always promising in the midst of all of this religious mess, there are a few people that are going to come and there are a few people that are going to listen. This gives me a whole lot of encouragement. Um, in the Christian world, whenever you find out there's some leader that did some horrible thing, and you think, gosh, his whole congregation is devastated. Well, it doesn't mean his whole, dev- his whole congregation is going to hell. There's, praise God, a church doesn't depend on the faithfulness of their pastor. <laughs> right? Um, there are always some hidden amidst these, these groups that are all messed up these leaders that lead all these people astray, there are people in there that are sincerely, sincerely seeking. There are um, people that work in international missions, and you would think that the most devout, orthodox, Muslim mullah would be just the hardest person to, to convert them to Christianity. But that guy might be the most zealous, devout, orthodox mullah because he is sincerely seeking after God. And as soon as he believes the truth of Jesus, he becomes a super sincere, passionate, orthodox Christian man. And the lukewarm, mediocre Muslim guy hears about Jesus and believes in Jesus and is a lukewarm, mediocre, lukewarm Christian. There, there are these just... God has always hidden people in all these groups that will listen, that are sincerely seeking, that are really desiring him. So he says, those who go astray in spirit, don't lose hope. They will come to understanding. Those who murmur, so murmur, it says, those who murmur will accept instruction. So you can just picture that scene. People that receive instruction from God, I don't know about that. They're going to listen. They're going to receive it. They're going to hear. All right, so here's the kind of thing that Israel was doing at this time. In uh, chapter 30, God tells him, he's like, oh, you stubborn kids, you stubborn children. You want to carry out a plan, but it's not my plan. You want to make an alliance. You want to make friends with somebody, but it's not with my Holy Spirit. You add sin to sin. You go down to Egypt without asking me first. You take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and you seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the protection of Pharaoh will turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt will be your humiliation. They didn't want to listen to the Lord. They wanted to do their own thing. This is a, a, a great way to help you with discernment. And to make decisions that sometimes the decision you make will make you look like a fool. 
What's tricky is sometimes you'll look like a fool because you're following Christ, and that's the right thing to do. Sometimes you'll look like a fool because what you're doing is extremely unwise, and God does not want to support it or help it. And that's where the real discernment happens, right? Well, these guys, they didn't even ask God. They did not refer to God. They looked around, um, just like we do. You know, I have this problem, and I look around for a solution to it. If I talk about it with my friends, the ad will pop up on websites that I go to, and I see ads solving my problem, right? I see billboards, oh, that'll solve my problem. I might gossip. Well, you know, so-and-so did me wrong, and this is bad, and this is bad. And as the fruit of that gossip, somebody gives me advice. You know what you should do. You know what I'd do if I were you. So I'm sowing my problem with gossip. I'm going to reap, not holiness, I'm going to reap something terrible, right? That's what they're doing. They're running to the pagans of Egypt to solve their problem. And God's like, you're just heaping sin upon sin, upon sin, upon sin. Verse 9, they're rebellious people. They're lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. They tell the seers, do not see. They tell the prophets, don't prophesy to us what is right. They say, don't tell us the truth from God. We don't want to listen to God. Tell us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. We want you to prophesy illusions to us. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Gosh. This is today, right? I, I, can, I can comfort somebody with a platitude, with nonsense. You know, just believe in yourself. Um, there are stores that sell crystals that if I get the right colored crystal, it gives me power. Um, there's all kinds of nonsense all over the place to make you feel good about yourself. The Lord wants to make you feel good about God, and God loves you so much that you'll feel good about you in His presence. God beats all of that stuff. But these guys were saying, tell us smooth things, prophesy illusions, tell us something good. They were so hardened and they were so blind that they didn't want to hear anything that God had to say. This, um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on right now of what does it mean to be evangelical? And just that term evangelical is a label. And then, you know, there, there are people that uh, they talk about mainline, mainline denominations. And there's a whole movement of people that don't even want to use the word Christian anymore. Uh, I was talking to a guy recently. He's like, I just don't even want to call myself Christian. I want to call myself a Jesus follower. I want to call myself a disciple of Jesus because all of these other words are so off. There, there are so many people that call themselves Christians that never read their Bibles. The, if you look at the statistics of people that read their Bibles every day and say they're Christians, uh, it's just it's way off. Or the numbers of divorces among Christians. Just that label Christian is so off. And, um, and I encouraged him to just help, help people that, to know that the word Christian means a lot of different things and that you're a Christian that follows Jesus. That, that's where we are. Um, 
This speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions is, is widespread. And that's why it's so good. It's so good. Remember that statistic about Southern Indiana, that 80% of people in Southern Indiana call themselves Christians. That means we don't have to be afraid to talk about the Bible. That means we can stand in public, we can read the Bible in public. We can bring up a conversation with somebody in the grocery line. We can tell our waitress at a restaurant, hey, you know, here's a cool thing I read in the Bible that I want to share with you. We, we can be bold in that because, because it's true. So God says, here's what's going to happen. Your destruction is going to be so fast. It's going to be like a wall that collapses. It's going to be like a jar that breaks. And it's going to break so much uh, down in verse 14. It's going to be broken like a pot that you can't even scoop the littlest bit of water with its scrap. It's going to be completely and utterly wiped out. Fast and complete. Verse 15, he gives the alternative. In returning and in rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust will be your strength. In returning and rest, you'll be saved. In quietness and trust will be your strength. You, you really want to grasp that. Um, the same Hebrew words that are used in there are the Hebrew words that two women would use to describe knitting. Like, what does, what does that yarn do when you're knitting it? It just sits there and is knit together and made into something great, right? What is the activity of the, of the yarn when a woman is knitting? In rest, returning and rest, you'll be saved. In quietness and in trust will be your strength. You know, you know where else that comes up? The same idea? is in John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. What, what do I need to do to abide? Right? Have you been to a vineyard lately? Did you look at the branches and where are they all going? Struggling really hard to abide in that vine? No. They were acting like a bunch of yarn that's being knit right? They're just resting in him, resting in him, being in him. In returning and rest, you'll be saved in quietness and trust. That is your strength. But they were unwilling. They said, no, we'll flee upon horses. We'll get away. And he goes on, he gives some of their excuses they'll give. They're going to ride away on horses. They've got this big old army. And God says, my horses are faster and my army is tougher. Whatever you, think you're going, whatever you think is going to save you that's not the Lord, His wrath will bring one better and one bigger and one faster. Um, it, it's just God is so superlative to anything we could trust in. You're going to trust in beauty. God is more beautiful. You're going to trust in riches. God has more wealth. You're going to trust in glory and attention. God has all the attention of all creation. God is always more. But he always answers us when we turn and follow him. It says in James that if you turn to him, he's there. 
It says in Isaiah, here's verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 18, The Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For God is, the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are all of those who wait for Him. He is waiting to show us mercy. He is waiting for our help. There's times on, like on Christmas morning, and you know Caleb's tearing apart some Christmas present, and I've got my, my Leatherman or my pocket knife ready, and he's just tearing this box, and, and it's got all these wire ties holding the thing in the box, and he can't open it, and he can't get it out, and I just sit there and I watch him. Because I want to, you know, I want him to grow up and be a man, right? I want to let him figure stuff out on his own. And at some point, I say, hey, buddy, give that to me. And he hands it to me, and I cut all the wires, and the transformer comes out, and he can play with it, and it's all good. I am anxiously waiting to help him. I'm not, oh, brother, you can't even open up a hardened metal twisty tie on a transformer. Come on. God wants to help us so bad. Like the whole idea that God's watching you is true. But he's not watching you so he can, boom, light you up with a lightning bolt. He is watching you. Oh, come on, come on. Call on my name. Ask for my help. Yes, he asked for my help. Help, 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 help. He is anxiously watching that's Isaiah, if you want to write it on across the front of your house, uh, it's Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. He will, he will strike and he will help. Verse 19, a people will dwell in Zion in Jerusalem. You will weep no more. He will be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Though the Lord will give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but you will see your teacher. You will see him and he will come and help. All right, so Isaiah 31 is all the stuff about why you shouldn't go to Egypt. Um, it all gets summed up in verse 3. The Egyptians are a man and not God. You're turning to a man, not God. Their horses are flesh. They're not the spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble and he who is helped will fall and they'll all perish together. When the Lord stretches out his hand, all the stuff that we trusted in that was not the Lord is just going to go poof and fail. Isaiah 32 he gives us a little glimpse of what a righteous king looks like. A king will reign in righteousness. Princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in the dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Man, wouldn't it be great to have a king that's like, that's like the shade of a rock on a sunny day? Just think about how refreshing that is. If you're out in it and you get some shade, oh, how great it would be to have a king that would be a hiding place from the wind. 
like you're cutting across that parking lot to your car and you just feel that and you're just you're getting cut to the bone and it's like I have a coat on and it's doing no good I'm freezing and you get in your car and that door thunks shut and you're like ah that's what God ruling over us as king is like Skip down, God talks about some of the things he's going to fix. In verse 5, The fool will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. You can tell they're living in times just like ours, where there's honorable people that are called honorable, and you're like, that guy is not honorable. That, that fool is not a noble. That scoundrel is not honorable. For the heart speaks, the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord. Isn't that wild? To utter error concerning the Lord. That there, there are people that say stuff about God, and they say stuff about the Bible, and they're in error, and they're wrong. But if you don't know the Bible then you don't know that they're wrong, right? The fool speaks folly. His heart is busy with iniquity. Wow. Isaiah 33. The Lord is, is in verse 5. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the stability of your times, the abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Never forget while you're reading the book of Isaiah that Isaiah is a real guy. And he has real feelings. And sometimes he just needs to reassure himself. He's like, you know what? God told me to tell all these people, even when none of them listen, just keep telling them. I need to remember that God reigns on high. The treasure of Zion, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. He's almost reminding himself. Then all through this chapter 33, it's really wild. You know, usually he's had these wider turns of terrible things are going to happen. Good stuff will come. Terrible things will happen. Good stuff will come. Now, all of a sudden, that circle is getting tinier. <laughs> you only get about four verses of bad and four verses of good. Four verses of bad and four verses of good. Listen to this great, this great stuff in verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will lift myself up and I will be exalted. That's the reminder that it's God that's doing it. Even if we all turn away from Him, He will still be exalted. He will still be lifted up. Skip down to um, verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burning? See, the people are starting to realize God's real, but they aren't realizing that they can turn to Him. They just have the fear of the Lord. They don't have the fear of the Lord that trusts Him. Does that make sense? They, they believe that he can bring wrath, but they don't believe that he can bring mercy or that he will. Verse 15, God answers, Isaiah answers that question. All the people are saying, who can stand before God? We're doomed. He says, he who walks righteously speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, 
who shakes his hands unless they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. Um, I have a, a, a friend and he worked at the newspaper with all these pretty crusty guys and he left his job at the newspaper to go to seminary. And he told the guy, they all called him church boy because he was so religious. And finally the day came and he quit. And he said, guys, I'm leaving to go to seminary. And this one guy said, I'll be darned. Except he didn't say darned. And my friend said, well, you don't have to be. And that was like a joke. They're saying, who can stand? And Isaiah saying, I'm going to tell you who can stand. Here's who Change, turn, quit this oppression. Walk rightly, speak uprightly. Sometimes people might say it as a joke and you can just cut right in with some seriousness of I'm lost, I'm doomed, I guess I'm doomed, I guess I'm going to hell then. You know, you know what? Let's just not joke for a minute. You don't have to. You don't, you don't. Somebody can stand before God, it's Jesus. And he stood before God on your behalf. Because he loves you. He wants you to be there with him. There is a way. It's not hopeless. There's some other ways that Isaiah is talking about, um, you know, things are going to be restored. Fighting ships won't come to their shores anymore. There won't be any more battles. There won't be any more fighting. Um, it's all coming. People won't even be sick, he says. It, once they all get cleansed and restoration comes. Isaiah 34 is all about how desolate the land will be. And then Isaiah 35 is back to that restoration. And it is really, really great. If you've ever, um, you know, you've, you've seen the cornfields and the soybean fields and you're like, I don't know if they're ever going to plant because they're all flooded. Right? This happened last year, and it looks like it might happen this year. Everything's so flooded. Everything is so wet. And it's kind of hopeless. And you're thinking, gosh, we're a farming community, but nobody's going to have a farm. There's just kind of these mud pits. And then all of a sudden, you kind of quit, forget, you quit talking about that. And about four weeks later, you drive by, and there's green growing everywhere. And all of a sudden you're like, I completely forgot that we were all worried about corn crops. Look at it all grow. Look at it. It's everywhere. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It'll blossom abundantly, rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be giving, given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. That there's going to be a time, all these people are going to experience horrible things, but then those few that come back that see the remnant, that are the remnant, they're going to look out over all this desolation and it's going to be like a beautiful forest. Like just beautiful fields, lush, growing, and they won't even remember how awful it looked. They won't even, there won't even be a reminder Verse 5, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. They won't even remember 
what their pain was like. They won't even remember what their hardship was like. The burning sand will be like a pool, the thirsty ground like springs of water, the haunt of jackals where they lay down, the grass will become reeds and rushes. It'll be, instead of all these briars and thorns and, and wild animals, it'll be beautiful and fertile. All of this might be real, and it might be like a picture of what heaven is going to be like, but it's also, remember how this whole thing started? They praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. When their hearts are close to God, when we are really genuinely heart and soul close to God, our lives change. Our outlook on life changes. You know, uh, the stock market does crazy things and uh, we're about ready to go to war with Iran and all that stuff happens and you have all kinds of fear, right? Somebody that doesn't trust in God you know, what's going to happen if everything depends on the army, if everything depends on the stock market, if everything depends on da, 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 da. If I'm trusting in God, you know what? This might be terrible, but God will be with me. God will be so close to me. We have a friend that uh, died of ALS. And he said, he said, you know, I've grown so much in the Lord I know it's been a hardship on my wife and I know it's been a hardship on my kids and I know I'm going to die early, but I would not give any of that up if it meant I wouldn't be as close to the Lord as I became because he got so close to the Lord. He got to a point where his sons made a little wand that would stick out so he could turn the page on his Kindle and read the Bible. I mean, that's how... but. He felt so close to the Lord. He had such comfort from God and such an intimacy with God that it was worth it. So imagine in the midst of all of this, verse 8, a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. The people that draw near to God with their hearts, not with just their lips, the people that don't give ear to oppression and don't, don't oppress others, their path is a way of holiness. It's Jesus. Jesus is their way. Thomas, uh, Jesus said to Thomas, I'm going to a place where you can't come, and, uh, but you know how to get there. And Thomas said, how do we get there? What's the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. You know me, you know the Father, I am the way. It's me. It's not a path, it's a person. It's me. He says it'll belong, back to Isaiah, it'll belong to those who walk in the way. Even if they're fools, they won't go astray. You can be a real dumb guy and follow Jesus. Praise the Lord. And He will still carry you along. No lion will be there, no, no ravenous beast. They won't be found there. Just the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. When I draw near to God with my heart and not my lips, if I'm drawn near to God with my lips, gosh, I'm going to be totally worried about what I say. Do I say the right thing? Do, am, I, am, I, am I saying the right words? If I say the wrong thing, will God, boom, blow me up with a lightning bolt? If I'm close to God with my heart, I could trust Him. 
gosh, God, this is hard. But I know you're with me. I know this terrible land is going to be blooming beautifully as I stay with you and as I walk with you, as I'm near to you. I know even if I'm a fool, if I've got you and I'm with you, you will carry me through this stuff and we'll do it. That's what... That's the promise that Isaiah is giving through all of this. I promise you, if you don't want the Lord, the Lord won't force Himself upon you. But I promise you, if you want the Lord, you will get Him in abundance more than you could ever imagine. All right, let's pray. Lord, we praise You for the promise of a day when sorrow and sighing will flee away. We praise You, Lord, that even though we do foolish things and we think stupid thoughts, that we can still be with you and be close to you and that you will carry us along and that we can have confidence not in our faithfulness but in your faithfulness, that you're the one that accomplishes it and that you are the one that will finish it. We praise your holy name, Lord. Amen.